But there's something I need to tell you, and that is this. Your God is too small. Now, I'm not saying that to offend you. I'm not saying that to be rude, actually. It's just a simple fact that your God is too small. And, and I'm not saying that God himself is too small or that he's deficient in any way at all. No, what I'm saying is that the way that you perceive him to be is too small. And if I'm honest, I have to admit that this is true of myself as well. My view of God is too small. It's something that I struggle with. I don't want it to be that way. But if I'm honest, I have to admit that that's the case. And in fact, every time that I preach or I talk about God, the challenge that I face is that I would not dishonor God by portraying him to be more simple than he truly is or as smaller than he actually is. You know, it's a fact that as human beings, we have a tendency to imagine God in ways that are deficient. Would you do something for me right now? Would you uh, take a second and do this? Imagine God, right? Try to imagine God. Imagine his holiness. Think on it. Think about his love. Imagine the greatness of it. Imagine the greatness of who he is and his power. All of us inevitably, no matter how hard you tried, even your loftiest thoughts, no matter what, you just imagined a God that was smaller than who he really is, right? You, you pictured a God that was too small. Our highest thoughts, our greatest attempts, our loftiest imagination, right, of God, it's too small. It doesn't measure up with the fullness of who he is. And here in the letter to the Ephesians, one of Paul's goals is that we would have a bigger picture of God. And this is what he writes in, in chapter 3, if you'd follow along with me in your Bibles from verse 14. Paul writes this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen this is the second prayer in this letter to the Ephesians that we've read so far, the first prayer was found in chapter 1, and that prayer was focused on us knowing all of the riches which are ours in Christ. But here in this second prayer, there's a different point here. The point is this, that we would grasp in a greater way the greatness of God, the ability of God, and the love of God. And no matter who you are, whether, you've been, uh, whether you became a Christian last week, or whether you've been a Christian for 30 years and you've been studying the Bible for 30 years, this is something that all of us need. We need a greater grasp of the greatness of God, the ability of God, and the love of God. And as we've been studying here in the book of Ephesians for the last several weeks, the focus of our study has been on discovering our identity in Christ. Because the message of the gospel is that when you put your faith in Jesus— as Lord of your life and Savior of your soul, that is when life really begins. When you put your faith in the gospel, 
and you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, that is when you begin a new life. Jesus called it being born again. And along with that new life comes a new identity. That's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. That when you put your faith in Christ, what happens is God takes you and he removes all these labels that have been put on you to define who you are, right? And he places new labels on you, giving you a new identity, declaring who you are in him. You know, those labels are your true identity. Whereas before, the label that was placed on you was sinner. He removes that label in Christ and replaces it with one that says saint. He removes the label of broken and replaces it with one that says redeemed. And he adds a whole bunch of other labels telling you who you are and who he is making you to be in Christ. And as we've been studying through Ephesians, we've been learning to remove those old labels that have been placed on us, either by ourselves or by other people. Labels placed on us because of things that we've done or things that have been done to us. And here in Ephesians, we're collecting new labels and placing them on ourselves, telling us who we are in Christ. And so far, what we've seen is that in Christ, we are called. In Christ, we are blessed. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are part of God's plan for the ages. We are heirs of God's riches. We are enlightened spiritually. We are empowered and so much more. And the thing we learn here in this week's text about our identity in Christ, the question, who are you in Christ? And the answer we get this week is this. You are a dwelling place for God. You are a dwelling place for God. Notice what Paul prays in Ephesians verse 19. He says, or in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19. He says, that you may know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. The fullness of God. That's such an incredible thing. That this God, right, who's greater than anything we can know. Who's greater than anything we can even possibly imagine. He can do anything. And his love is so great that we can't even know it. It's too much for us to even comprehend. He says, this God, this great God, he wants to come into your life and he wants to dwell within you and he wants to fill you with all of his fullness. And check this out. This is the part which is absolutely mind-blowing. He says this phrase. It just blows my mind every time. He says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what that means is that God, when he wants to come into your life, he doesn't want to just give you a little bit of himself. Although we must admit that even a little bit of him would be more than we could possibly handle. It would be more than we could possibly contain. But here's what he says. God wants to come into your life and he wants to fill you with the fullness of who he is. That average, mediocre, half-hearted Christian life that is so popular, so widespread in our common culture, that is not what God wants for you. His desire is that you would be filled with all the fullness of who he is. And the goal of this text here is that you would get a vision for two things. Number one, the greatness of God. And number two, what he wants for your life. That you would get a bigger vision of that. C.S. Lewis said this. It's a great quote from the weight of glory he said this it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased 
The point is this. We settle, we tend to settle for way less than what God wants for us. And what we need is a bigger view of who God is and a bigger view for what he wants to do in our lives. Because not only does he want to save our souls, but he wants to come into our lives and he wants to fill us up. He wants to fill us up with the fullness of who he is. That we might be so full of life and truth and love and joy that we're filled beyond capacity that it just bursts like a balloon that's blown up too much that it overflows like a cup that's had too much poured into it so let me ask you this how would you describe God how would you describe God what attributes would you attribute to God and I think honestly probably most of us would make lists that are very similar right I mean, we'd say stuff like God is good, God's loving, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's ever-present, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's kind, he's just. These are all true, right? And we could go on and on making lists of different attributes of God. And those of us who study the Bible, we consider ourselves Christians, we would probably make similar lists, right? But here's the thing. There's almost always a difference between who you believe God to be in theory and who you believe God to be in practice. Let me explain what I mean. Maybe you say, hey, my theology is correct, you know. I know what the Bible says about God. I can list all of the attributes of God. Well, I would say that of myself too, but the actual, the real question, the crux of the issue is this. Do you actually believe it? Or rather, how much do you actually believe what you know to be true? We would all say, yeah, God is all-powerful. We would all agree with that and nod our heads. But do you really believe that God can do anything? Really? We would all say that God is loving and that as I am his child, right, he has a good plan for my life. He's working out everything for my good and for his glory. Yeah, we would nod our heads. But here's the thing. Do you really believe that God has a good purpose with everything going on in your life? Do you really believe that even the difficulties in your life, that he's allowed even those difficulties because he loves you? Think about this. Is the God you believe in practically different than the God that you believe in theoretically? Is the God you believe in practically different than the God you believe in theoretically? About eight years ago, I developed eczema. Now, right now, I'm symptom-free, but uh, eight years ago, I developed eczema. And I went to a dermatologist, right? I got all kinds of creams, all kinds of prescriptions. I was on diets and everything. And, you know, there are many things that cause eczema for different people. That's why it's kind of hard to... uh, kind of hard to cure or, you know, help. But in my case, you know what it turned out to be? In my case, it turned out that I was just stressed out of my mind, right? I was just worried. I worried about everything. I worried about every little detail of life. I worried about money. I worried about what people thought about me and what they said about me. I worried about worrying too much, right? I was just worried all the time. And all that stress and worry, it came out on my skin in, in the form of eczema. Now during that time though, when it was really bad, right? If you would have asked me, I would have told you that I believed that God was sovereign and that he had a good plan for my life and that he was working it all out and that it was cool, right? I knew all the right answers, just like many of you know all the right answers. In theory, but practically, I wasn't actually believing those things to be true in my everyday life, in my situation. 
So the question is, how about you? Is the God you believe in practically different than the God you believe in theoretically? Oftentimes, our, our perception of God's greatness, God's ability, and God's love is deficient. And what Paul's praying for the Ephesians and for us is that we would have a bigger picture of God. That we would be able to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge, right? Mind blown, right? And then he goes on to say God is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask or even imagine. Think about that. I can imagine some pretty crazy stuff, right? But he can do beyond that. Towards the end of the book of Acts, we read about how Paul the Apostle stood trial. And, the, and one of the, he, he stands trial like roughly three times, right? But one of those trials, he stands trial before a king named Agrippa. And Paul is finally given a chance to speak on his own behalf and defend himself. And he says, you know, the only reason I'm on trial right now is, is really for one thing. It's because I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the whole reason that I'm on trial, why I've been arrested. That's the whole issue here. And then he poses a question to King Agrippa. And he says this, King Agrippa, tell me this. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? And the real question, the real issue that he's bringing up is much more than that. The real issue he's bringing up is this. Why would you think it incredible that God would do anything, right? Because if he's God, then why would it be thought incredible that he would do anything? The difficulty of any task is measured by the ability of the agent accomplishing that task, right? The difficulty of any task is only measured by the ability of the agent doing the task, for example, I, I had a summer job once when I was in high school where I worked in a warehouse, right? And in this warehouse, you know, we would, we would pack furniture, build furniture, deliver furniture, and there were these big pallets, you know, with these huge, um, I guess they were like shelves, right? And there were these pallets, hundreds of pounds with all kinds of materials on them and, uh, and products stacked on them, and they would use these forklifts and they would lift these pallets, you know, up to 30 feet in the air and put them on these, uh, on these shelves. Now for me, lifting a big pallet like that 30 feet in the air, that's impossible. I can't do it. But you know what? That's because a forklift has abilities that I don't have. So for a forklift, that's not an impossible task. Here's the point. As human beings, we tend to assume that God is a lot like us. And that's why God's so popular, right? Because people are like, yeah, he's a lot like me, you know? That's why people like him. We tend to assume that he probably thinks the way that we do. And he probably agrees with our opinions, especially about politics, because by nature, God can't be wrong, and therefore he must agree with me because I'm right, right? So we figure God's probably a lot like me. He probably thinks like I do. He probably agrees with all my opinions. God can't be wrong, so he must agree with me. And so as human beings, right, another way that we imagine that God is like us is that we have limitations, right? And we tend to project our limitations onto our image of God, right? We think that some things are just too big for him, right? We say, well, there's a lot that he can do, but... Ooh, I'll tell you what, that, that one, that might be even too tough for God to handle, right? That's just too much. It's too big. It's a lost cause. Have you ever tried to draw a picture of God? 
So we used to do VBS, you know, with, uh, with kids. And, um, and one of the things I found really interesting was when you would ask the kids to draw a picture of God, right? Sometimes they draw some really interesting things. A lot of times, you know, what you'll get is they draw like a really big person and then themselves next to it to show, you know, that they're really small and God's really big. And that's, that's great and everything. But when, my favorite is when you get these kids who just draw like these like really abstract things, right? And it's like, I remember this one kid who took this piece of paper and he just took a white crayon and he just drew the entire paper with this white crayon, right? And he was like, yeah, that's God. There you go. And I was like, oh, interesting, right? Another one, this kid just uh, handed the paper back to me. There's nothing on it. And he said, well, why didn't you draw anything? He said, you can't see God, right? How can I draw God? You know what I mean? And, and you know, I think those, uh, those drawings are closer to the truth, these abstract things. And here's why. Because I think that God is altogether different than anything that we know or can even imagine. We can't even grasp with our human minds the fullness of who he is. Why should you think it incredible that God would do anything? This is an important question for us to ask ourselves today. It's also an important question for us to ask other people. I mean, there are people who say, you know, I have trouble believing the Bible because the Bible is full of stories of things which I don't believe to be possible, right? Others would say, I don't think that God is able to help in my situation. My problem is too big. It's too difficult. It's a lost cause. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God is too small. I'm saying that most of the time we assume that God is smaller than he is. That's why I'm telling you, you, your God is too small. My God is too small. The way that we view him, the way that we perceive him to be, is smaller than he actually is. I mean, think about this. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, then why would it be a problem for him to heal cancer? Why would it be a problem for him to restore a marriage? Why would it be a problem for him to change a circumstance? The God of the Bible, right? He's the God who created everything out of nothing. He created this Milky Way galaxy, which has billions of of stars. Billions, right? But then think about this. He also created millions of other galaxies which are as big or bigger than the Milky Way galaxy, right? And just one of those stars in the Milky Way galaxy is our sun. Do you understand how big that is? And the Bible tells us this about all these galaxies, that he is able to hold everything between his thumb and his forefinger. It says that in Isaiah chapter 40, that he spans it all between his thumb and his forefinger. All those millions of galaxies with billions of stars that we can't even see the end of it. He spans it with his thumb and his forefinger. But at the same time, this same God, he created these teeny tiny atoms that are very complex, right? So complex and so small that it would take one million atoms bunched together to create the width of a single strand of hair. But yet, in those atoms, there's so much power, right? That if you would take a few of them and you split them, then boom, Longmont is gone, like forever, right? Just a few of those. But it takes a million of them to make the width of a strand of hair. Here's my point. He's a great God. And there's nothing that's impossible for him. There's nothing that's even difficult for him. He can do beyond all that we ask or even imagine. And in our lives personally, we need to realize that since he is God, there's nothing that he's incapable of doing. There's nothing that's even difficult for him. All of us have problems. We all have needs. 
All of us have concerns. And you know, we, we can get so focused on our problems that we can't see anything else. Let me give you an example, right? I have this phone. Now, this is a relatively small device, right? I mean, it fits in my pocket. But you know what? If I hold this so close to my face, eventually, the closer I get to this, it becomes the only thing I can see. It can even block out the sun to the point where I don't see anything else going on around me. All I see is this thing right in front of my eyes. And that's what can happen with our problems and difficulties, our concerns and issues, that it becomes the only thing that we can see. And it blocks out everything. It can even block out God, even though he's much bigger than the problems that we face. And maybe you today, you have a need, you have a problem in your life that just seems impossible, right? God's word is here to tell you this, that God is able to do beyond what you can ask or even imagine. Therefore, you know what? That means that we can pray with total faith. We can pray knowing that he is able to do anything we ask, no matter how great it is or how impossible it might seem. And here's the point of this section, that it's encouraging us that we should ask God for big things because he's a big God. And I don't know about you, but like I said, I can imagine some pretty crazy stuff, some pretty wild things. But God is inviting for us to ask for even greater things, big things. So what are those things in your life that you would love to see God do, which you know are according to his heart, but you just can't imagine that they would actually happen? Perhaps you think, you know, there's not even a, any point in praying for it. It won't happen anyway. It's a lost cause. I'm telling you this. The Lord is encouraging you to pray big prayers and ask for big things in faith that he's able. And that it's not, not only is it possible for him, but it's not even a problem. For some people, though, it isn't the ability of God that they question. It's the willingness of God, right? They would say, sure, I believe that God can do anything he wants. I just don't know if he's willing to do those things in my life. The question of God's willingness, this is what God's word has to say about it. It says in Romans 8, 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him? graciously give us all things that speaks to the willingness of God not only is God able to do all things but God is willing to work in your life personally if you will ask him if you will seek him and ask him and here's what God's word is telling you today God is greater than you can even imagine God is able to do more than you can even imagine and God loves you and cares about you more than you can even know or imagine and here's what that means for you. It means this, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, and knock because God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his kids because God's word tells us in the book of James, it says sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. So I encourage you, ask God to do great things. Ask him to do great things in your life. Ask him to do great things in and through this church. Ask him to do things that bring him glory, that are for the good of people that are according to his heart. But here's the other part of this. Not only does God want us to know that he's greater than we can even comprehend, but here's the thing, that this great God, he tells us that he desires to dwell within us and to fill us with the fullness of who he is. 
In verses 16 and 17, Paul prays for them. He says this, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell, it means to live in, to settle down in, to take up residence like you would in a home. In Acts chapter 17, we read this, that the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made by man. And in, in John 14, verse 23, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. See, God is so great that he can't be contained in buildings made by human hands, yet he chooses to make his home within us who love him and keep his word. What an amazing thing to think about. This is part of our identity in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Here is who you are. You are a dwelling place for God. Jesus said this. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. There's a painting that hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and it's titled The Light of the World. I have it up here on the screen for you. And when this painting was first displayed, it received criticism. They said, uh, you know, this painting wasn't well thought through because, look, there's a bunch of weeds growing in front of the door. Weeds don't grow in front of doors, you know. And they said, and there's no handle on the door. This is, this guy, we need to send this painting back. This guy needs to finish it up, right? But the painter, his name was Holman Hunt, and he responded that he had, in fact, made no mistakes with this painting, from the weeds growing up in front of the long, unopened door to the fact that there was no handle on the outside of the door. He said, this is the reason, because the door of our hearts must be opened from the inside. Christ knocks, but we must welcome him in. And this brings us back to the idea of what Paul is saying. He said that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That we would welcome him in, that he would settle down, and he would make himself at home. And the question for you and I to ask and consider as we read this text is this. Is your heart a place where Christ is at home? Is your heart his home? Does he have access to every part of it or is he just a guest, right? In other words, put it this way, is he the king of the castle or do you make him sleep on the couch and buy his own groceries, right? Do you keep him locked out of certain parts of the house, give him access only to certain rooms or is it his home? You know, some of you in, in your house, maybe you have rooms that you keep locked up because there are things in those rooms that are private. Like if guests come over, you lock the doors. Those are private things. Maybe they're things that you don't want children to have access to. I remember growing up that in my grandmother's house, there were rooms that I was not allowed to go into. My uncles lived with my grandmother and there were rooms that I wasn't allowed to go into because there were things in those rooms that I wasn't supposed to have access to. And I wonder if you would imagine your heart as, and in your life as a home, right? As a home with many rooms. Think about this. Are there any rooms of your heart where the Lord is not welcome to go? Places that you keep locked up where you do not allow him entrance. And I think that most people have this kind of situation where they have parts of their hearts or their lives where they're holding on to things that they know aren't right, right? But they're not yet willing to totally give them up, right? Sometimes we call these pet sins. Um, you know, they're the kind of things that you know aren't good and, and you say, yeah, you know, 
I know that's bad and I feel bad about it, but you know, I've been doing it for so long. It's just a part of my life. I feel bad about it. I ask for forgiveness, but you know, on some level, I guess I kind of enjoy holding on to that thing. So I just keep it locked up in this one room of my heart. The rest of my heart, the rest of my life, it belongs to the Lord. But this one room, that's the place where I don't let him go. Because that's where I keep my pets. And sometimes I, I go in there and I visit them. And, and I hold on to them and I, I, you know, take care of them from time to time. But see, here, here's the point again. Not only is God bigger than you can imagine, but he wants more for your life than you even know. He, he wants more than what you settle for. Like, like C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily satisfied. Our, our desires are not too strong, they're too weak. He doesn't just want part of our hearts, he wants our whole heart. And he wants to settle down in our hearts and make it his home. I'll tell you what, in my home, I have access to every room. There's no part of my house that's off limits to me. I have total access. And that's the point here that Christ would dwell in your heart by faith. It's the idea that he comes into your heart and he makes it his home. He comes in and he has total access to every room, even to the attic and the crawl space. And he's able to go in there and reorganize and throw out things he doesn't like and bring in new decorations that he does like because it's his home. That's what David did. You know that? David prayed this prayer. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I would encourage you today. Give the Lord full access to your heart. Give him the keys. Let him settle down and make it his home. Because his goal is, is not just to clear out what doesn't belong. His goal is actually much more than that. And I hope you see that. His goal is to give you a new foundation. To lift up the house and replace the foundation. It says here that you would be rooted and grounded in love. That speaks of foundation. And that is that your life, and then he says that your life would be filled with all the fullness of God. See, he doesn't just want to clear things out, but he wants to fill it up with the fullness of God. This is the goal, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. And that is a big goal. And I encourage you, don't settle for anything less. We read in verse 20, that when we are filled, when he has made us his dwelling place, then his power, which surpasses all knowledge, which is beyond our greatest imagination, he says, that power is at work within you. You know what it means for, for us to be full of the fullness of God? To be full of the fullness of God means I'm no longer full of myself. And that's a good thing, I'll tell you that much. That is a good thing. Can people really change? This is a question I was even asked this week. Can people really change? I say absolutely, but here's how it works. If God takes up residence in your heart and he cleans out all the junk and he fills it with the fullness of who he is, then yes, people can change. When they give God access to every area of their life and every area of their heart and they let him come in and make their heart his home and clear out the junk and fill it with the fullness of who he is. So here's how I'd like to close. Let me just say this. May we have a bigger view of God. Amen? May we have a bigger view of who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. And may he make his heart, our, our hearts his home. Every single part of them. And may he fill us with all of his fullness that he might work according to the power of his great might in us. Amen? Let's stand and pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for the fullness of who you are, the richness of who you are. And Lord, we want to give you access to all of who we are. Lord, thank you that you are greater than we can even know. And forgive us for the times when we have believed something theoretically, but we haven't believed it practically. Lord, you, we want to believe in you practically the same way we believe in you theoretically. Lord, the things that we know to be true of you, Lord, would you help us to appropriate those things in our lives, to walk in the knowledge of who you are and what you want for our lives. And Lord, may we not be satisfied with less than the fullness of who you are. May we not be satisfied with this mediocre, half-hearted life. Lord, give us strong desires for you. Lord, may we not be easily satisfied, but Lord, fill us with the fullness of who you are and nothing less. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.